as we dig into a little bit this idea of who are you following, tonight we want to take a look at one of the things that sort of, I suppose you could say, has changed the course of social media. And so I'm going to put a picture on the board and just see, maybe some really techie people out there know who this is. Anybody know who that guy is on the board? If you don't, it's okay. Nobody? His name is Justin Rosenstein. And I suppose if, if you knew Justin 15 years ago, you would probably say that he was a hero of Silicon Valley. He worked for Facebook. And he is in large part responsible, he and the team that he had around him, for inventing one aspect of social media that really every part of social media, he did it for Facebook, but every part of social media since has copied in one way, shape, or form. Anyone want to guess what it is? The like button. The like button. Yep. 2007. The like button was a creation of Justin and his team. All right? Maybe some of you have seen, I don't know, it came out a couple years ago, The Social Dilemma. I want to just share a quote with you from Justin. It's kind of interesting. Here's what he said in that, in that, uh, that d documentary. He, he wrote this, When we were making the like button, our entire motivation was, can we spread positivity and love in the world? The idea that fast forward to today and teens would be getting depressed when they don't have enough likes or it could be leading to political polarization was nowhere on our radar. Yeah, I think the like button seems pretty harmless, right, at first glance. Who wouldn't want to know, yeah, I'm in favor of that. I know I'm old and so my children probably would make a lot of fun of me, but every time somebody sends me a text, I have to react in some way. You know, you either have to give them the thumbs up or a little harder, the exclamation points, right? Yeah, you're not supposed to do that, I guess, anymore. That's like, shows how old you are. Well, I am, so... But that like button, that idea of a like button was meant to be something very positive. And yet, I think you probably know the studies. I don't have to go through a lot of the, the science behind it. But like, likes on social media, retweets, followers, influencing others, those things have an addictive quality that is equal to any drug. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? That, that, that desire for having likes, that desire for having someone follow your content, having someone retweet what you wrote, that brings a high to people that is addictive. And so Justin, interestingly enough, and he talked about this in The Social Dilemma, he actually has parental controls on his iPhone that prevent him from downloading any new apps because he is afraid that he won't be able to control his impulses. He knows that he is someone who is being manipulated by the people who make those apps, who try to draw you in by the likes and all the things that happen. It's kind of interesting that somebody that was an insider would think like that. And, and, and I'm going to guess that many of you know the feeling. You maybe have posted something, written something that got a lot of likes, a lot of people followed, a lot of people made comments about it. And it does bring a little euphoria. It brings a little joy to know that ah, you, you, you hit something that, that people wanted to hear about or wanted to think about. And I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. I think Justin would tell you simply to be careful. But when I think about likes and, and the joy that that can bring, it's good to compare that to a different kind of joy. 
The joy of being loved by God. The joy of something that never changes, that never fails, that you don't have to worry about waking up one day and not having likes or not having comments because God's love never fails. I want to share a verse with you from Isaiah chapter 54 tonight. Isaiah 54 verse 10. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah when he says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. What's amazing about these words that, that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah is that, that this prophecy comes in the middle of God demonstrating that the people of Judah were going to be carried into exile, into captivity. If you go into the wider context of Isaiah 54, what God actually compares the people of Judah to is a spouse who has been unfaithful, a wife who's been unfaithful. And that God had no choice ultimately because of the unfaithfulness of the people of Judah but to turn his back on them. They had turned their back on him, pursuing other gods, pursuing a love of pleasure, wanting to go their own way. And so God sent them into captivity. But here's the amazing part. Throughout this prophecy in Isaiah, even as God is prophesying about these difficult times that lay ahead for the people of Judah, he has these beautiful promises sprinkled in between the judgments. And Isaiah 54 is one of those beautiful times where God says, though he has turned his back on them for a short time, he has not abandoned them. In spite of the difficulty that the people of Judah would face, God reaffirms his love for them. The promises that he made, the faithfulness that he has to those promises. You see, even the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel couldn't do away with God's faithfulness to them. God promises unfailing love. He promises everlasting kindness in this section in Isaiah 54. And as I thought about those words, this idea of unfailing love or everlasting kindness, I tried to think of something that I could compare that to in our world because there just isn't, they aren't things that last forever really in this world, are there? Here's the best I could come up with. The everlasting gobstopper. <laughs> or the mega jawbreaker, which is the one on the upper left. Anybody ever own a mega jawbreaker? It's not too late. You can still get them. They're like 15 bucks. They're three inches in diameter. And do you, I'm going to share with you the world record for somebody getting to the middle of one of those mega jawbreakers. 17 days, four hours. No, wait. Yeah, 17 days, four hours, eight minutes, and 19 seconds, I believe, is the world record for getting to the center of one of those jawbreakers. I don't even know if I should tell you this, but yesterday I wasted time that I'm never getting back. Probably about 15 minutes worth. Looking up videos of ways that people got to the middle of jawbreakers with the sunlight or with a high-powered hose, it's kind of interesting, but yeah, it doesn't really accomplish anything. If you've ever owned one of those things, I'm just interested. Anybody ever actually finish it? Did you get to the end of it? Because at some point you just give up, don't you? There's so many layers of those things. That's why they're called everlasting. 
Yeah, it doesn't. You have to lick the outside art. It doesn't actually fit in your mouth. It's, yeah, it's like, it's the size of a baseball. So you're not putting that in your mouth. <laughs> but no, that's okay. But as I thought about, as I thought about that, it really does highlight, doesn't it? When God uses the word everlasting love, it really highlights when God says his love is unfailing. I want you to know what that word for love is. It appears both in verse 8 when God calls it everlasting kindness and then again in verse 10 when he calls it unfailing love. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And it's one of those special words that's translated in different ways throughout the Old Testament. Loving kindness, mercy, love, faithfulness, all this is all kind of wrapped up into one. It's almost hard to define that word in just a couple of English words. It's the very word David, King David used in Psalm 23 when he wrote this, Surely goodness and chesed, love, mercy, will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what God wants us to know. That's the love that God has for you and me. It's an unfailing love. It's unshakable. It's everlasting. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have all had, maybe even on several occasions, one of those days. Or, or maybe one of those weeks. Or one of those months. Hopefully it wasn't yesterday or today, the first day back of the new semester. But we know what's going to happen, don't we? It's going to happen where we feel abandoned. Maybe if it's not by God, we feel abandoned by the people around us. Maybe, maybe it is something where you put something on social media and it didn't get the reaction you were thinking. You don't have the friends network that you'd like to have. There's so many ways that we can feel like the people of Judah did. Mountains shaken, hills being removed. That frustration of life that comes at us faster than we can deflect it, it can, it can bring us down for sure. And then on top of that, we have the irritation. The irritation of our own failures. The fact that we can't measure up to God want what God wants. We've promised ourselves that we aren't going to linger over those images anymore, that we're not going to gossip about that person that we find it so easy to talk about, that we're not going to pursue Joy and happiness apart from God. But we go right back, don't we? And then we could ask the question, how? How can God still claim to love us with an unfailing love? With everlasting kindness? It's because it's who he is. The Bible tells us that God is love. What God wants for you is to hold on to those promises, to hold on to that truth that God's unfailing love for you cannot be shaken, that his covenant of peace cannot be removed. You can count on God every single day. There's no ups and downs. There's no maybes or ifs. God promises a love for you that won't ever end. It's truly unshaken. And what comes along with that love is peace. A peace that comes from knowing our Savior Jesus. Think about this. Jesus accomplished something pretty amazing at the cross. It's where Jesus satisfied God's demand for justice and yet proved God's love all in one act. 
because he suffered our punishment. And that punishment that Jesus suffered demonstrates God's love for us because the price for your sin and mine is paid. And because Jesus went to the cross to do that, God can promise you and me that his love for us will never change. That nothing can take us away from him and separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's your peace every single day. You are loved. Loved by a heavenly father who promises that his love will never change. Jesus talked about that peace in John's gospel in chapter 14 when he wrote this. He said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's Jesus who takes away the fears, the frustrations of this life as he points us again to the love that he has shown for us on the cross. Two things for you to take away from our devotion tonight. Number one, when life makes us feel like we don't measure up, God reminds us of his love. John wrote it this way in his first epistle. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to die for us that we might live through him. Number two, God's love is unfailing and everlasting, and that gives us peace now and forever. In Psalm 29, King David wrote this, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord fills his people with peace. That's what God wants for you today and always. I found this little display of, of Isaiah 54 pretty impactful because of the way uh, they maybe took a little liberty with the translation, but the meaning comes through the same. Though the mountains will crumble, you will not. That's God's promise to us, that, that his promises will never crumble, that he will be the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that because his strength, his peace, and his love is with you, you won't crumble either. See, it doesn't matter how many likes we get because we know that we are always loved. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy to have the students back on campus here in Madison starting the second semester. What a joy that, that you remind us of your love daily, that we can see it in your word constantly, that to see your faithfulness to your promises even when we are not. What joy that fills us with, Lord, to know that we are loved, that beyond a shadow of a doubt your love will never fail, and that you are guiding us to our eternal home with you in heaven. We pray that, that you bring blessings to these students as uh, they begin this second semester. Strengthen them, Lord, in, in all of their, all the responsibilities that they find. Uh, give them confidence in your love for them and that you walk with them in every step that they take. And ultimately, Lord, guide them and all of us to the joy of an eternity with you, the eternity that Jesus was won by his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.